Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Boys are back in town. The boys are back in town. The boys are back. Chris needs That's back in right. town. Right. Chris is back. I should have stayed on vacation. <laughs> Hi, Chris. Welcome back. You look happy and you have a sunny disposition to you now. Thank you. Kind of. Anyways, this is this is on the bench. I'm Brendan Sinone. Chris Nee is back from vacation, joining Josh Newberg and myself. Fellas, do we want to start off with recruiting today or some of the uh, the off-field, non-football-related, but semi-football-related tidbits? Recruiting? I'll say recruiting because if I say the other thing, I'm going to throw you completely off script. I know you don't handle that well. It was supposed to be like it was organic and not scripted, Chris. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. So this episode of On the Bench, we're going to take a, a fun list of uh, listener questions. We are going to talk about a lawsuit involving Florida State Athletics Association and a former coach. Uh, but we'll get to the recruiting stuff first because I know that's why a lot of people tune into the podcast as we talk about recruiting better than anyone else in the entire world. So let's start off with something, though, not super pleasant, but but maybe spinning it forward here. Terrence Ferguson, four-star offensive lineman from Georgia, commits to Alabama. Not a huge shock given the, uh, the recent run of crystal balls on him. Josh kind of prepared you guys for that last week. Josh, not a big surprise, right? So, so what I guess what's this mean in the context, grand scheme of things for Florida State, and, and what's next on the O-line board? Yeah, not a big shocker if you follow Knowles 24-7. As you know, Terrence Ferguson, although he was one of the top targets on the board, we never really let on that Florida State had a great shot at landing the six foot four, 300-pound number two rated guard in the country. Um, but just prior to his announcement, I found a, a podcast. Shout out to the J-Boy podcast. And Ferguson was on there, and um, the interviewer is a short 15-minute interview, but he asked him, um, you know, of all the coaches throughout this crazy recruitment process, uh, which coach do you think that you got the closest to? And he goes, well, I hit it off with all of them on a personal and football aspect, but the quickest, and seems like it's been the longest, is Coach Atkins at Florida State. And he went on to talk about um, Coach Atkins and how great um, of a relationship they have. And the, the host said, did FSU's coaching change put the Knowles behind Bama and Georgia? And he, and he, he admitted that it did. And he just said, um, you can build a relationship with somebody in six months, but can you really cover as much ground as somebody that did it over two years? And, you know, it, it, it's kind of simple. Um, I think if Coach Atkins is in, and this staff had been in place a little bit longer, then then they'd have a real shot at him. Um, but recruiting, you know, recruiting doesn't end all the time at the commitment. So it's just good to see that Coach Atkins has the attention of some of these top offensive linemen. I think to add to Josh's point on that, if things had remained open and normal and Ferguson had stepped on campus, say, one or two more times during the spring and FSU and got out, got out and saw him during the spring eval period, 
and then he came back for a summer camp visit, that changes the dynamics of that relationship more because there's more in-person interaction, which you just can't simulate in any other manner. But that just wasn't there. You know, with Alabama, he was there for, I think, a game or two last season. Obviously, some other visits with Georgia. He lived there. He was at Georgia like 20-some-odd times during his recruitment. Um, the only surprise really in that recruitment was that he chose Alabama over Georgia. Now, at the end, it wasn't a surprise because we knew for a week leading up to it was going to be that. But for so long, Georgia was kind of considered the pace car in that relationship. All right. As we look at the rest of the offensive line board, this probably doesn't change it a ton because, like Josh said, this was a long shot for Florida State. That just wasn't enough time to really establish FSU as a legitimate top-tier contender. It was Alabama 1, Georgia 2, then FSU seemed to be the, the distant third. Uh, as we look at the rest of the offensive line board, fellas, there's a few names I want to talk about. Chris, I'll throw this one to you because uh, you've, you've been on his recruitment pretty consistently. That's Mike Mislinski from uh, from the Jacksonville area. I know he's kind of – you've written before that he's starting to narrow things down a little bit. Do we have any updates on where his recruitment stands? I reached out to him last night around 6 p.m., asked him if he'd settled on a date for making his decision – he told me he has not set a date yet. He then kind of stated, I will probably announce it when I'm ready, which I let, led me to believe he just meant when he makes a decision, he's just going to announce. It's not something he's going to turn into a whole dog and pony show. Um, where does FSU stand? I'm not real sure. I think Iowa is a school that's always kind of been there for him. Obviously, the strength coach change, I think, impacted that a little bit. He's the son of a strength and conditioning coordinator, so it's certainly something he looks at within a program. But I think Iowa is still in a very good position with him. I think Maryland's done a good job making a massive push for him. I know Texas is attempting to do the same as Maryland. FSU's in there. I know he likes them. They have some proximity, but I wouldn't really call him a Florida kid. He's just in Jacksonville because his father works for the Jaguars. He's not from there. That's not where the roots are. So I think FSU's in the mix here, but I don't feel like FSU's going to be the landing spot. Plus, he's an interior guy. FSU needs yeah. more tackles. And, you know, while FSU, I think, would certainly take them, I don't think it's necessarily a need as much as a tackle is. It is one of the most eclectic lists. I guess it's not technically a list of finalists, but looking at who he's considering, you look at all the schools, there's not really a, a certain geographic trend or anything like that for him, which makes sense given his dad's uh, profession. Uh, Josh Rodor, I know we've discussed him at length on this podcast. Mm-mm. To me, this seems to be no. Don't what? Say it. What? No, no. I was going to say choice one. I was going to say this is the guy. If you're looking at the most realistic option, who has the most upside and the most talent, yeah. this seems to be the guy for Florida State. Uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I'm wrong. I, just I, thought, wrong. I thought you were going to say what we were talking about um, before the pod uh, about we're gonna, we're gonna the lead potential. You guys are really ruining the whole organic part of this podcast, which I think is what makes it fun. You're really. I think you might just be beating around the bush a little bit. They don't call me beating around the bush Sinone for nothing. All right, Josh, back at it. Yeah, if <laughs> Auburn offers him, um, this is this is a real this is not good for Florida State. He Rod Orr, we were discussing on the podcast um or prior to the start Dude, of the I got him so podcast. flustered, knee. I have Josh so flustered right now. Shut Go up, hey, Sinone. Take, take a reset. It's okay. <laughs> Rod Orr is arguably the most valuable recruit on the board right now in, in terms of realistic, when we talk about realistic possibility of landing, um, position of need, a true tackle. I mean, how many times have we had to squint our eyes to find, you know, to, to make a guard into a tackle, 
Um, and Rod Ord is that guy. And Florida State has an excellent relationship with him. Um, they're one of the, the top major programs in the South that have, that have built that bond. And we've kind of been saying all along, well, hopefully Alabama and Auburn don't jump into this mix and make it, make it kind of messy. And it looks like Auburn could be the next program to offer. Yeah, Auburn's a concern. Auburn is after guys like Amarius Mims, Savion Bird, but they're both likely to go elsewhere. So Auburn's kind of always kept or warm or even recently said in an interview with 247 this week, Auburn hasn't offered yet, but their coaches said they like my film. They just want to see my size in person. They want to keep evaluating me. Obviously, the in-person part can't really happen right now because visits aren't allowed through August. But still, I think Auburn has a good enough idea and can get enough intel that if they do need to go on them, they would go on them. And if Auburn goes on him, he's almost certainly going to Auburn, which is a massive concern. In that same interview, he said Florida State, Mizzou, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Oregon are all on me pretty hard. And he uh, was asked about – he had previously stated he was going to decide on August 1st. He's backed off that date a little bit, but this Mm -hmm. is what he said. Most definitely, I plan to decide in August. I'm not saying who it is between right now, and I still want to visit these schools to see how the coaches treat me and my family. So some of that's still up in the air. I have to talk to my mom about all that, and I really hope we can visit school soon. Well, we can't. Can't visit schools till at least September as of right now, and we'll see even if it opens up then. So, you know, for him, if he's going to decide in August, it's going to be off of relationships built on the phone, over Zoom calls, things of that sort. FSU's done a lot of work there. But I think if Auburn comes into this thing, it's all for naught. And that's just aggravating, but that's the way it is. Yeah. If Auburn doesn't come into it, I think FSU's certainly a major player in this. I know Mississippi State's made a massive amount of effort with the kid in trying to land him. And I wouldn't really discount anybody in a relationship other than the ones we listed. Outside the ones we listed. All right, one other name that I want us to touch on because it's a fairly new name with a recent development. That's Marlon Dean, recently decommitted from Georgia. My understanding, guys, he's offensive tackle, defensive tackle type guy who can develop into either one. But FSU's interest, if there is interest, I'm going to throw this to you, Josh. I would imagine it would be at offensive tackle. Yes, correct. Florida State offered him back in February. Um, looking here, February 1st. And he committed to Georgia on March 6th. I remember when he committed at the time, um, it was before the shutdown, and fans were hoping, and we were hearing that Marlon Dean might make a visit to FSU in the spring, but we didn't have a date kind of nailed down yet. And then all of a sudden he committed to Georgia on March 6th. And then, of course, the shutdown comes, and Marlon Dean was a forgotten name for the last four or five months. Um, He decommitted on, what was it, on Friday maybe? Thursday, uh, Thursday or Friday, the end of the week. I hit him. I hit him up on Saturday, so he had decommitted okay. at that point. But I was on vacation, okay. so I wasn't paying that close of attention. So I've confirmed that since then, he has been in contact with FSU. Well, he admitted as much to Chris. Um, I confirmed that FSU is recruiting him as an offensive lineman at this point, and I believe Alex Atkins is the primary recruiter on on Marlon Dean. He is a six foot six, two hundred and sixty pound. I guess he's been recruited as a defensive lineman and offensive lineman. Um, believe Georgia was taking him as a defensive tackle. Is that correct, Chris? I'm not 100% sure on that. <clears throat> yeah, I can check with Rusty. But um, we have him listed as a defensive tackle on 24-7 sports. But I do know that FSU is recruiting him for the offensive line. 
Yeah, and he told me when I spoke to him, he got back to me yesterday from the message I sent him on Saturday. Don't know yet as far as a new list of top schools. I'm really just focused on grinding more and getting better. I then followed up with, is FSU still in the picture with you as they were before? Or is FSU in the picture with you? Yes, sir, they are. So that's where it sits right now. I don't think he's a kid that's going to rush into a second commitment. I think we need a, because it happens so often, we need a podcast uh, sponsor for just a specific segment on offensive line recruiting. But here's the here's the kicker. It has to be something that like has to do with inflicting harm to yourself, like alcohol, like you need a, like a, a whiskey brand or a bar or, the, or something. The, spon- the sponsorship can be brought to you by the bag that needs to be dropped. Oh, so you're just trying to spin it to more unoptimistic of you. I got hey, you. I'm just ready for an offensive tackle. I'd really love to cover an offensive tackle in the next decade. You'll That'd move him awesome. to guard anyways. It's no, fun. I won't. Or safety. <laughs> or safety. All right. Speaking of safeties, Chris. Wow, what a transition. What a transition. I am here for you. <laughs> transition right, I'll throw, king. I'll throw this to you. Amari uh, Harvey, safety from Tallahassee, drops his top five. Yeah, Florida that... State is in it along with Florida, Auburn, LSU, and Texas A&M. I think FSU leads here, um, but I also think FSU needs to show him something during the season. I don't think it's as simple as he's local, he's coming here. I don't think it's that by any stretch. Florida made a real big push back in the early spring before everything shut down. I think that's worn off to a certain degree. With A&M, it's his relationship with some on that staff, including the ties to Jimbo in the local area. And then LSU's uh, you know, kind of throwing because they won a national title type of school and they recruit DBs at a high level. But I think LSU's probably fifth of those five. Auburn's made a big push here, but most of it's been since the shutdown. Obviously, that's neutered a bit by the inability to have in-person interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked Harvey yesterday if he had any kind of timeline for deciding. He said he did not, that he's just going to kind of take it as it goes. I know he would like to get out and see some of those schools in person, namely Texas A&M is one of those he'd like to get to. He's obviously been to FSU a lot with it being local. Um, I think if he's, I think he's patient enough to wait. If things do open in September, do something then. Maybe decide in the early portion of a senior season. I do feel like FSU is in a pretty good spot right now with him. I don't think it's a slam dunk, but I would put them as the odds-on favorite out of those five. Mm. Yeah, I agree much with what Chris said. I have my crystal ball on FSU with a confidence level of six, and I'd say I, I feel good. I'm right there with Chris. I think that FSU is in a spot to land him, um, but they can't just go up and lay an egg on the football field. They got to show Harvey a little something out there this season. Um, And I'm just not buying that, you know, he's going to have a chance to get to Texas A&M and maybe even Auburn the way things are going now with visits. So I, I, I like where Florida State sits. I think Florida is probably their biggest competition right now. Okay, let's move on to – sorry, Josh, I got a text from you, and I was You're concerned good. it was podcast-related. It was not. Let's go on to the tight end board. There's a couple developments at that position, and obviously this is one that well-documented Mike Norvell places a ton of priority on. FSU already has two commitments there, but we believe they want three in this class, uh, again, because it's a big priority for Mike Norvell and his offense. So the first development is Aaron Outley commits to Arkansas. He's an Arkansas prospect. And at one point, Chris, didn't we think FSU was trending in a really positive direction for him? But, but this ended up not being a surprising development. 
Yeah, Wilt Fong, I want to say late May-ish, maybe very early June, put in a crystal ball for FSU, said they were doing a really good job, which they were. They were always running in the top two for the young man, but it was going to be Arkansas in the end. At the end of July, he actually moved his decision up about two weeks from what was originally expected and chose Arkansas. No real surprise here. Local kids staying home, top priority for the local school. FSU's already got two at position. They wanted him at Arkansas. It just sort of goes down that way. I I never felt like it was going to be FSU, especially with the inability to take visits, um, even when Wilt Fong threw in the crystal ball. And that's no knock on Wilt Fong. He's a master at that thing. And he, he, he was good. He switched it back very quickly to Auburn soon after when he got some new intel. And it was pretty clear that the decision, which was coming down the road, was going to be for the Razorbacks. All right. And then the other development there is that Jalen Sheard, Drops a top five. Josh, did you write about that for us? I'm trying to remember who. No, Chris got that. Chris is on tight end duty. He is. is You know how I love my tight ends. (laughs) Um, I reached out to Sheet about why FSU was in his top five. Didn't hear back from him on that. The main thing about his recruitment is it's just blown up. After FSU offered, I believe Alabama came in. I want to say LSU was also after FSU. Old Miss is the in-state one that they're kind of expected to be there. And then South Carolina is the SEC throw-in. I think that kid's going to play in the SEC. I, I don't think it's going to be FSU. He's a great in-line blocker type, very physical type. He'd be a great edge guy to add to an offensive line that's not very good. But I still think FSU's future at that tight end position is River Helms. I think he's the next guy that if they're going to land a third one, it's going to be him. Why do you think that? I just think he kind of fits both. He's a capable blocker, but he's an excellent downfield option. I always felt like when the trig situation happened in FSU kind of mm-hmm. fell out of favor with him, that River Helms was the next man up in that kind of role. Not saying he's Michael Trigg, but in that kind of role as a tight end. And uh, I, I think that still holds true. Plus, I know Trigg, or I'm sorry, I know Helms and likes FSU a ton, is very high on FSU. I think if River Helms could get on campus today, he would commit today to FSU if he could mm-hmm. see the campus. I just think that's where things stand with him. Oklahoma State, uh, Georgia, a couple others are in there with him, and he likes them. But I think FSU is a clear-cut favorite for River Helms right now. All right. Uh, Really quickly, Chris, you mentioned before the podcast, J.J. Henry is a name to keep an eye on. Yeah, Billy M. Body, who works for 247, wrote an article for the, I believe, SMU site that he helps. He helps the LSU and the SMU sites. um, Or I should say, runs the SMU site. He... uh, mentioned in the interview with JJ Henry, he mentioned that uh, FSU was one of the schools he's talking to a lot. So I reached out to JJ yesterday and he told me, yeah, in fact, that is the case. I'm talking to FSU a lot. I think Chris Thompson's main contact there. I know he's the one that offered him. He deals with the area. He has relationships with the school that JJ Hill is from in Texas. He's an excellent slot receiver, real good speed. He's a really talented kid. I just don't know if he's top priority for a slot type for FSU. I think Fat Payson is still the guy for FSU, and then I think they want to go for something bigger on the outside. Plus, there's a lot of schools between where Henry is and where FSU is that he likes. And in a normal situation where visits can happen, that's usually a negative because you got to fly over five schools to get to the sixth one you're looking at. I still kind of feel like proximity is going to win out for him, that he's more likely to end up with like a Big 12 type program than ending up in, in Tallahassee. Moving down the list here, let's see. Tyrone Dawkins, what's the latest on on his recruitment? 
Oh, he loves the Twitter, and he put out a few weeks ago that he might put out a new list, and then he kind of backed off that, and he hasn't done so. So I just figured I'll reach out and see if this is one of those situations where the field's lapped FSU and they're not really in it, or if they're still in it. Asked him, you know, are you still talking to FSU? Are you still interested? He said, yes, I am. All that being said, Alabama's in that picture and gotten kind of a stronghold there with him. South Carolina's always been there. Tennessee's always been there. Georgia's in the mix heavy, too. I think those four programs are all in a much better position than Florida State. That's just a recruitment where I think FSU is not in good enough standing in the college uh, football landscape to compete with a majority of the other schools pursuing them. And then there's South Carolina, who you know, I wouldn't put above FSU any day of the week, but they, uh, they've got a longer relationship and really solidly in there with an in-state kid. He's from South Carolina. And I butchered the name in all fairness. Uh, sorry about that, Chris. Tyrion, Tyrone. Yeah, Tyrion. Ingram Dawkins. Ingram Dawkins. Yeah, he's from South Carolina. And as a website, we have him ranked as the 87th prospect nationally and the number five defensive tackle. But uh, but the composite is has him at 286 and 17 uh, yeah. nationally. At, at, so a big and discrepancy I, between how we view him, our analysts do. I don't know if it's the case, but I saw some speculation that Dean, if he was in fact a defensive tackle type for Georgia, was sort of not let go, but like Georgia didn't work hard to retain it because of their hopes of adding a kid like Ingram Dawkins, okay. among others, at the position. And Georgia, for what it's worth, is listed as warm along with Florida State, LSU, South Carolina, and Tennessee, as Chris mentioned earlier. Yeah, and Alabama's come into that, and from what I understand, he has a real interest in them. And North Carolina is not a school that probably should be mentioned with him, too. North yeah, Carolina, Florida State's man. kind of the program where you have to you have to prompt him to talk mm-hmm. about it, and once right. you do, he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, like like Florida State, love the staff." But like, <laughs> yeah, it, it it wasn't forced, like pulling the teeth, like you got to tell me about FSU. Mm-hmm. He's always had an interest. He gets right, he gets edits. He but talks to Josh Burrell. Yeah, he talks to Josh Burrell. He likes Coach Haggins. So there are things there, but I just think there's way too much for FSU to really truly be in that discussion and overcome those things. Josh, you've just like how Chris has been on the tight end beat, you've been on the defensive end board beat, I feel like. And there are uh, – do we want to call them developments? Because no one's technically gone on or off of it recently. But but there have been some some list speculation and some commitment timeline speculation that I feel maybe we should spend a minute updating our, our listeners on, if you will. Yeah, we got some good news and we got some bad news. Um, the Such defensive end – yeah, right? Um, the defensive end position has been a point of contention. FSU sent out some some offers last week. Um, and also, I'm sorry, last week we got we saw Byron Turner get an offer. He's out of Louisiana. Um, who are the other guys that got offered on the Thomas the Davis, Kyron Montgomery, um, Landon Watson? I think that's all the defensive ends that that little spurt of offers involved. Yeah, but it looks like one of them, you mentioned Watson, Chris, maybe coming off the board soon. Yeah, Jeremy Clark, TCU site, uh, I think Thursday or Friday, put in a crystal ball for TCU. Watson's kind of a tough kid to crack sometimes to get info out of. Um, I reached out when he put out a tweet about potential decisions just to see if, in fact, he was on the verge of making a decision. Didn't hear back from him. But there is some belief that TCU is kind of trending there right now. VTech for a long time was thought to be a favorite, but they faded. I believe Evan Watkins also put in a TCU crystal ball. Mm. Arizona State's also been kind of thrown around in that recruitment. So that's kind of a weird, wide-open deal. Uh, FSU's main tie there, truthfully, is Hunter Washington, their buddies. 
but you know, if he's deciding soon, it's not going to be FSU. Long yeah. relationships are going to win out. I think uh, what TCU's trending there right now yes. heavily. And, and now you talked to Zion Reeves as well. He's yeah, a really. six foot seven, two hundred and forty five pound defensive end out of North Carolina, and he's a prospect that we can legitimately talk about because he has visited. Uh, yes. Chris, what did he tell you as far as his top list goes? Well, he's a guy who's oddly very patient in a year where very few kids are patient. I told him, hey, just checking in. This was last evening. Are you ready to put out a short list of favorites? Said yes, very soon. That's been kind of a consistent message. I do expect that list to come sometime here, you know, between now and the beginning of August. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think FSU, NC State, South Carolina are kind of a clear-cut three that should be on there. He's spoken a lot about them in the past. His head coach has also said that he believes those are the ones that are kind of standing out the most. I think this is an FSU-NC State battle at the top. Okay. That'd be be a big win for Florida State. Um, We know NC State has done well with defensive linemen in the past. Um, So is Florida State. Uh, the The other prospect that I really like is Byron Turner. Um, he's out of St. Augustine high school in new Orleans, but he's got some, we've got some tough competition there. UF Baylor, Mississippi state, Ole Miss. And I think he's a player that's going to also see a lot of interest come his way in the fall. Um, six foot three and a half, 237 pounds, really strong prospect. Um, but I think the one that FSU fans should focus on right now in terms of most realistic shot is Kyron Montgomery. Mm-hmm. Chris, do you agree with that? Uh, we're talking about the six foot four, 215 pound weak side defensive end out of Indianapolis, Indiana. He narrowed it to three Minnesota, Mizzou, FSU were those three. He, the shortest relationship of those three is FSU. I asked him yesterday, have you taken a virtual visit with FSU? He said, no. Um, I would presume FSU will make an effort to try to get that done because he's a kid that may not be able to get on campus before he decides. He has said he's not in a huge rush. I believe the only one of those three he has definitely visited was was it Mizzou or Minnesota, Josh? He's been to Mizzou, and that he's was, I believe, in early March. Yeah, I don't know that he's been to Minnesota either. So I don't believe he, he has. If he doesn't rush, he'll see the schools, and that changes the dynamics of everything. But I don't know. FSU is so new to that. You know, I do think the FSU offer changed that recruitment a lot. I don't know that it was enough to win out in that recruitment. Um, obviously, I'm a bit pessimistic at certain positions. Until yeah. so FSU has success, I'm not going to believe they're going to. Yeah. But that's well, the eight, case. eight days ago, Kyron Montgomery told Steve Wilfong that he is he's aiming for a mid-August decision. Yeah, so visits want to be something you can do at that point right. in person. So we'll see no exact date on that, but he did admit that he's, he's looking at mid August for a decision. So that's kind of the DN board right now. FSU needs. Oh, what about, what about, um, I think we're, have we talked about Thomas Davis in depth? No, no, no. We didn't talk about Thomas Davis. Nor Chambray Jackson. Yeah. I mean, Chambray is a guy that FSU is very, very, very solidly in that the main question with him is, does he stay at DN or does he end up growing into a D tackle? Right. Um, but it's FSU, Alabama, Auburn. I would say probably the top three for Chambray. I might. I don't think I'm misspeaking on those being the main three. I know FSU and Bama are the two that have probably done the best recruiting job with him. Yeah. In Thomas Davis's case, I did some checking on him last night. I reached out to him, but didn't hear He's back. He's the so recently offered pass rusher out of South Georgia. Yeah, and he's a DN linebacker type. FSU likes him as a fox. 
He had a top three when FSU offered. I believe it was Miami, South Carolina, Indiana. FSU replaced Indiana, joining Miami and South Carolina. Miami was the leader when FSU offered. Last night when I checked, I was told the expectation is he still commits to Miami. The date he's currently working with, I believe, is his birthday, August 24th. I still expect, as of right now, for it to be Miami on that date if it doesn't even happen sooner. And you're so sure that you put a crystal ball pick. Put a very, I very am. Very I did. I, I why don't you got to be like that? I don't rush into those things. One quick thing. On Turner, isn't he the one whose father is a uh, FSU guy? FSU fan, yes. Yeah. Turner told me that he grew up watching Florida State on the television because his dad was a uh, a big fan of the Knowles. There you go. And, and that doesn't always win out, obviously, but you have that tie. You have, obviously, DJ David Johnson's ties to the Louisiana area. Do you so guys there know are that he coached that, at St. Augustine High oh, School? That okay. shit again. <laughs> um, so there's obviously some stuff working in FSU's favor there. Yeah. Yeah, DN board after Chambre is still a very uh, fluid situation, as we like to say in a recruiting game. And, I'm and I think Florida State needs two, but – Technically, I mean, if they added one more pass rusher, they'd be okay numbers-wise. Um, I think they need two quality pass rushers to to kind of top off this class. But, yeah, after Jackson, I mean, it's, it's you're looking at a bunch of guys that really haven't visited. Part of it, yeah. Josh, I think kind of is contingent on what the incoming or this current class of the 2020 class, like is TJ Davis a defensive end or a defensive tackle? Does he grow to be a defensive right. tackle for FSU? He comes in at 270 and we've seen him in person. Like he does have a big thick frame. Uh, you would, it's quite the transition. He was an inside linebacker two years ago, then a defensive end. And, and I'm not saying that's where he's going to end up, but I think he's someone who's on the fence that could go either way. So that could certainly like change whether you're recruiting an extra defensive tackle in this class or an extra defensive end. He's kind of a swing yeah. boat. Yeah. It's kind of like Curtis Fan. Curtis Fan yeah. was in a similar boat when he arrived at FSU. Similar. Yeah, like a similar. bunch of FSU's offensive linemen have been – or defensive linemen have kind of been in that mold recently. It's tough to find the – Dennis Briggs sweet. coming out of high school was considered, yeah. you know, that. strong Strong side guy who could easily slide inside, and we've mm-hmm. seen him do both. Which is what he's probably doing is sliding inside. Jamarcus Chapman, uh, who I saw in person, he looked pretty filled out like in a, in a good way, which is good to see for him. But he was another guy who was – kind of in that range of recruiting for uh, the 3-4 hybrid that Willie wanted to run, but they weren't running, and then they decided to run. And, yeah, we've documented that. Yeah. It's, it's I think fun. that hybrid defense really threw off defensive line recruiting for for about a cycle or two. Yeah. And plus, it's really hard to find, like, a Brian Burns type of guy. Like, they don't right. exist, too. That's that's why nope. you try to make a transition, I guess, to where you don't need that type of defensive end. Any, anyways, yeah, the defensive end board is going to be – Interesting to see how it develops uh, here in the late summer and into the fall, and if guys are able to start taking visits again. If. Yeah, I, I still think on that board it's Jackson and Reeves. Like I, I think the one and two on that board have been the same even before all these new offers. I think the new offers were more about the options after those two had been depleted by commitments elsewhere, and this was about restocking the Plan Bs, the Plan Cs, and that's not diminishing any of those guys because like Byron Turner is a damn good, good football player. Um, I just think that if FSU has their choice, it's still the guys they loved back then, like Jackson and Reeves. Josh, do you think we should let Chris, since he's since he's back, do you think we should let him talk Woo! about basketball? Basketball. <laughs> okay, go for it. <laughs> uh, Matthew Cleveland, five-star shooting guard, number two at his position, according to 247sports.com. He's making a decision on Tuesday. He's out of Pace Academy up in Alpharetta, Georgia. 
He's a stud. He's a kid that's been to FSU multiple times on unofficial visits. He was actually supposed to take an official for one of the last home games back in March, right before FSU entered the ACC tournament. But his high school team won a state title game, and that conflicted with the uh, ability to take that visit. So it had to be pushed. And then, you know, the world ended, as we all know, from a recruiting standpoint of visits. So he wasn't able to take that official, but he has been here multiple times. I think FSU is going to win out in this one. Kansas, Michigan, NC State, Stanford are some of the other finalists. I, I expect it to be FSU tomorrow. It's never a sure thing in basketball recruiting. Sometimes it gets real weird at the end. I don't think that's going to happen here, though. I think it will be FSU. Cool. Let's take a – there you go, buddy. That was – that was. you got your basketball talk. You kept it nice and sweet, too, short and sweet. Uh, good job. Good job. Happy to have you back, Chris. All right, let's move on to a quick commercial break. On the other side, I want Nee's thoughts on a couple of topics that we went over last week. I want Josh to give us the skinny on the Greg Fry lawsuit, and we're going to take some reader questions as well. So we'll be right back. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to On the Bench. Before we get into the lawsuit talk, which I know was something that people were very, very interested in on Friday, but uh, Friday, get it, Greg Fry? Uh, Josh and I had already recorded the podcast at that point, so we'll get into that in a minute. Before we do that, Chris, uh, FSU announces a hire for the Seminole Boosters structure, a a really big name, if you want to say, like uh, going outside and what the significance could be for the direction of the booster program. That's Mike Alford from Central Michigan. He was the uh, athletic director there, but we've talked about his background before on the podcast. He has ties with Alabama uh, Athletics, uh, Dallas Cowboys, I mean, big names. You like that hire, Chris, just on paper when you first saw it, right? Yeah, I think it's a good hire. I think from an image standpoint, it's good that FSU went outside the family. I think that pleases a lot of people that were very tired of everything being an internal type hire. I think that he's a man who's done the job in multiple different ways with being an AD, with being in uh, roles where it was more about fundraising and being in roles where it was more about advertising revenue. So he's kind of dabbled in it all. I think he uh, does a very good kind of composite picture of what you want in that position, what you're hiring him to be for boosters. I think boosters desperately needs to be 
revolutionized, brought into the 21st century, the whole method of going about fundraising with individuals, with ad revenue, with creating revenue needs to be updated. And I think he's the kind of guy that has a good shot of doing that. I think the resume speaks for itself and is very good. I hope it translates well to FSU and he has success because I think FSU desperately needs that. I think the financial issues that you're hearing from FSU, some of it is because they got way too comfortable in doing things in the old manner and it's time for some new thought. And I think he'll bring that hopefully to the, the FSU side of things. I also wanted to get your thoughts, Chris, on the potential. David Teal reported on this last week. Josh and I talked about on the podcast the, the potential of a regional pod-based schedule for FSU in the ACC. Uh, are you familiar with it? Before I, I go into any more depth on it, are you talk, you're talking about the five and five one where you play teams twice? Yes. Yeah, it'd be broken, and the conference would be broken into three different pods, and you would have a round robin in that specific pod. I think Notre Dame would be added to the mix and be regionalized schedule. I mean, let's be honest. FSU needs a season for finances as much as anything. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. FSU football is only going to be so good on the field this year. Oh, if I they was... if they maximize things, they can win. You know, a fair share of their games, maybe three quarters if they have some luck. But it's this is not a year where they're chasing an ACC title or things bigger than that. It's more about FSU needs to play football to make sure to get some financial flow into it and also to get back on the field to show what Mike Norvell and his staff can do as a team. Do I like the pod system? Eh, yeah. The whole the whole eight plus one, eight plus two idea, the pod system, the create your own schedule, I, I think they all come with positives and negatives. So I don't think one's above the other. FSU playing Clemson twice isn't necessarily mm-hmm. advantageous for them. You know, you don't want to get your teeth kicked in twice in one year by a team that's just far superior than you are right now. But it is what it is. Like, if you do that, I would hope they would balance it out with giving you somebody that, you know, obviously is on the other end of the spectrum from where Clemson is in the conference. The way the options work out, like Miami and Georgia Tech, if if you went pod, uh, Miami and Georgia Tech would be the consistence for Florida State. Like, every scenario, they're in it. So Yeah, I I think you want to keep Miami just from the – respective of you always play Miami and it's Mm kind of like the eight plus one is nice because you always play Florida. You want to keep some of that tradition and truthfully, you know, I'm not here to be, you know, talking about COVID and all that, but if FSU can hop on a plane and fly to somewhere in the Northeast and play a football game, they sure as hell can hop on a bus and go to Gainesville and play a game or Gainesville can come here, you know? So like, don't give me the whole, you know, if, if the SEC has similar testing protocols to the ACC, why wouldn't those two play? I, I think that's the dumbest thing about this whole idea of conference for non, versus non-conference. I get maybe a Samford where you think that you can't control that as much as mm-hmm. the ACC will control the ACC schools. But I feel like if the SEC is playing football and the ACC is playing football, they're probably playing very under very, very similar protocols. I think we've seen the athletic directors for both at both SEC and AC schools that are invested in those rivalries come out and say, Hey, what you just said, Chris, if we're playing these games, if we're playing games like these, there's no reason to not uh, include the, the rivalries that we play every single year that are regionally based. Yeah. Uh, all right, Josh, you ready for this? A little Greg Fry talk, a little lawsuit action. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'll but, participate. But so some of these and Chris, you may want to turn around. I think you have a, a audience. Um, for most of our listeners, Josh, and readers of Knowles 24-7, if they went back and looked at the Greg Fry lawsuit, and I'm going to ask for you to kind of explain it a little bit here coming up, 
but essentially Greg Fry is suing Florida State Athletic Association over not receiving a pretty hefty uh, part of his salary uh, for the season he was at Florida State and mm-hmm. wanted to follow up for the for the next year. Uh, and there's some issues here in terms of signing the contract and, and whether contracts exist and, and some weird stuff that you normally don't see in athletics. But if people had followed along the Greg Fry saga late in 2018 and I think even trickled into early 2019, they would know that you more or less voice, maybe not in so much detail as what Greg Fry's lawsuit states, but concerns about the way his likely dismissal was being handled by Willie Taggart. So I I will throw it to you here to kind of go into that. Then we can go from, go from there. Yeah. And then in the next edition of, Oh, now you see it my way. Um, (laughs) About about damn time. They, they did. Right. (laughs) Well, no, and I get it. Um, I was saying some, some pretty bad things about, you know, a lot of people's favorite football program. And I know how it is when the coach is still there, you know, the fans are going to defend him to the death, but I was jumping up on the table screaming that, you know, this is not the way that you treat a coach at Florida state, let alone an alumni and, and, you know, somebody that really wanted to be there. It didn't work out the way that anybody wanted it to, but Greg Fry didn't come to Florida state to rip off his alma mater and leave after one year. And, and hope to get paid. I mean, Greg Fry came to Florida State to hopefully be there for 10, 15, 20 years and win a national championship um, at the place that he won one in 1993 as a player. But it didn't go like that. And I think it really, things got, got messy after Florida State's five and seven season. And if you guys remember, former offensive coordinator Walt Bell left to take the coaching job at Massachusetts. Um, that was when Taggart made the move to bring in Kendall Bryles, a coaching hire that seemed to drag on for, for weeks. Um, Houston was playing hardball with FSU. Yes, Houston was strong-arming Florida State into uh, paying the buyouts for Kendall Bryles and subsequently Randy Clements, who that's where, where that's the person that put Fry's job in jeopardy. I shouldn't say the person, right. but the move that put Fry's job in jeopardy was bringing Randy Clements with Kendall Bryles. Everybody knew that was happening. But when Fry approached Taggart about his concerns, I mean, I know this happened. In December Back in so? December. Right. Taggart wouldn't sit down with him. Um, I know in the article it says Fry alleges that Taggart told him that he was planning not – he was, he was not planning on making any further changes. Taggart really, and I don't know, I don't want to say too much because I know there's a lawsuit here, but Taggart really wouldn't even sit down with Fry to have this conversation, let alone let him know. So he dragged it on. Meanwhile, Fry, and I don't have kids, but Fry is having his, his first child, not only his first child, but they're twins. And his wife is, is, is very, very pregnant in the month of December. And at the time, Taggart's telling him is trying to brush him off, won't give him a straight answer. Everybody and their mother knows that Randy Clements is coming. Um, The lawsuit states that FSU was in contract talks with Clements at that time without the knowledge of Fry, which later confirmed by Bryles to Fry. The lawsuit alleges that Fry was still concerned for his job security despite assurances and discussed with Taggart that he wanted to attend the Football Coaches Association convention in early 2019, quote, 
where he would be able to interact with other college coaches and possibly work on a backup plan if Clements was eventually hired and he was terminated. In response to Fry asking about the convention, Taggart told him, allegedly told all of the other assistant coaches, quote, the only reason that coaches attend the coaching convention is to find a new position. Now that is kind of true and kind of not true. You always need to be, you got to have your head on a swivel if you're a, a college head coach, uh, if you're a college coach. And this is why, this is the exact reason why. Um, and I do know that coaches, it's not uncommon for coaches to tell their entire staff that they cannot go to convention. A lot of times this happens when a, when a coaching staff first arrives. Um, and normally the entire staff will kind of be all on the same accord. They'll understand. So like when Mike Norvell gets here in December, why does the entire staff need to go to the convention and waste, you know, three or four days where they could be meeting? So it's not uncommon. And I do know that Taggart told his staff at USF this. Um, obviously, Fry was not on that staff, but I know coaches on Taggart's USF staff at the time when things were, were looking bad at USF, he told the coaching staff, do not go to the coaching convention this year um, for the same reason. So this isn't a move that's uncommon in college football. And it's also a move that I know Willie Taggart has used in the past. So saying all that at the same exact time, this is all going down. Greg Fry really never had a contract signed. And that's something that Brendan and Chris, um, you guys talked about not only during Taggart's tenure, but after Taggart's tenure as well. So I'm not real good with the contract stuff, but I'll, but what does that mean, Brendan? What do you think that means for this lawsuit? Well, so they had some paperwork signed, and that's a letter of agreement or a letter of understanding, right. which is a contract, but not like – you're basically laying out very basic terms like salary, like uh, length of agreement, uh, some other bonuses and stuff like that typically. So that's signed. And when that's signed by both parties, then that usually kind of gives you the parameters for, okay, this is our agreement moving forward. Where it gets messy is if you do not have a contract that stipulates what happens when there's a dismissal, when that contract ends before its its length went from either party. And that's when you see these athletic departments send out via FOIA requests, like these 10 to 15 page coaching contracts. That's usually what a ton of the lingo is. Maybe a third of it is what happens if a coach gets fired uh, what if he gets fired with cause, for cause, without cause, if he leaves, like that's what these terms are for. Uh, and mm-hmm. so if that doesn't exist, then that creates legal, the room for legal action on one side or the other, right. because they're, they're, it's so nebulous at that point, which is, I think what we're looking at. It's a bad way to do business. And after... And, and real quick, Josh. Yeah, just, I just to, want to, yeah, go ahead. Fry isn't the only one, like Willie Taggart had we would ask for a contract for Willie Taggart and we would receive only correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but we would only receive the letter of understanding for Willie. And we've David Coburn has said since Willie Taggart was dismissed, I guess it's something that's probably going to go on for a while, figuring out these terms and what is owed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Coburn's on record with saying that basically. So it's a weird untraditional way that you normally don't see a ton in my experience in athletic departments these weird nebulous, nebulous terms for, for contracts. So sorry, Josh, you go ahead. No, it's all good. Um, the coaching convention usually goes from about January 7th to January 10th. Uh, Friday, not go to that the whole month of January. 
Willie Taggart and his staff hosted visitors. Um, I know that Fry's wife, who was super pregnant, was in attendance for some of those dinners because they try to make it like a family atmosphere and they want everybody and their coaches' wives there. So meanwhile, Fry and his wife were showing up for these events, knowing Taggart, knowing damn well he was firing him. Um, sure enough, Fry's wife went into labor early. He had two premature twins that were in ICU, the NICU, um, for several days, I believe two weeks. And after signing day, on February 15th, in a meeting with Taggart and an HR representative, uh, Greg Fry was fired. And I'm told it wasn't even really a meeting. Um, Greg Fry was called into the office. There was an HR representative in there. And they had about five or six words, and that was it. And um, Fry was let go. And I knew from that moment on that there was going to be an issue. I'm not going to say why I knew there was going to be an issue, but from the moment Fry was fired, there was a feeling that he was not going to get paid. Um, I was I was told that you know things. He just wanted to let things play out see what, how they were going to, um, treat it, give it time. And, you know, here we are, what, uh, almost two years later, year and a half later, and there's a lawsuit being filed. So this is no surprise. Um, I don't think this is how Fry wanted it to go down, but this is the way that I guess it, it had to go down. So let's go over a few things. One, just let me, uh, clarify. So Josh is reading a report that's from the Tallahassee Democrat that did the details of the lawsuit. I didn't want to put that out there. Uh, two, Josh is talking about the lawsuit coming from, this is Fry's perspective. So you're hearing from one side of this, uh, to be fair, this is this is one party, but it's consistent with what Josh was hearing a year and a half, two years ago. Uh, three, I don't know what my third point was going to be. Chris, help me out. <laughs> the While the lawsuit was filed, I believe it was June 30th. Uh, we first got wind of it July first or second. Oh, that was going to be that's what it was going to be. We weren't surprised by this. Sorry, that was yeah. None of none of it's a surprise. Um, as Josh said, basically since the time of his dismissal from FSU, and with things being so open ended, that we always expect there to be some chasing through the courts of the financial part of it. It's mind blowing to me that one you as a coach you wouldn't sign something or that you wouldn't come to terms with something in the sense of if there's a difference of opinion on a contract, figuring out, signing it, then going to do your job. And two, from a university standpoint, I don't get the idea of an open-ended contract because you, you've hired that person. You have a letter of understanding. They then do services for you. And then it comes back on the money. I understand maybe you want to negotiate the money down, but after legal fees and stuff, are you really going to truly save money? Like that just to me, it, it strikes me as an odd way of doing business. And then optics and PR as well. Like it's a former Florida state player. Uh, you don't want to have to go through a, anything where, where you expose yourself to where information can also come out as well. Right. Like these, these lawsuits can make for allegations and details that you don't want around your football program. Yeah. I think anytime you do something where, you know, it might end up in the legal realm, you need to think about it from every direction how bad can it get? What might we deal with? What might be the spin of it all? What might their side say about us? What can we come back with? You you have to kind of map it all out and figure it all out and figure out mainly, do you want to get into that mud hole and deal with that? Do you want to truly fight that fight? Is it worth it financially? Is it worth it from a PR standpoint? Is it worth it just from a time standpoint? I think it's kind of foolish. Um, 
but I, I also think it was always going to come to this. I mean, anytime we were asked on the message board uh, about his dismissal and subsequently that whole staff's dismissal about contracts, our consistent thing was the only thing we have is a letter of understanding or a letter of agreement, memorandum of understanding, whatever the specific title of the document we had was. Mm-hmm. This is what we had. This is what it said. We never got a full contract. And we knew why we didn't get a full contract, but it still struck us as odd. It, mm-hmm. Part, I think, at least my thoughts, and I want Josh's thoughts, because Josh did take a bit of a beating on the message board to, to the point where Chris had to come and tell people to like to, to chill out a little bit. Part of this in my mind is, yeah, the optics aren't great that Florida State is basically putting a former player and a position coach to have to sue for their salary. Uh, the, the other side of it is – well, the other side of it, though, real quick, is that you know, if there's not a contract signed, like these coaches aren't new to signing contracts. Greg Fry's had multiple jobs before. Uh, coaches in general are mercenaries; they kind of go around so you know to, to different schools and do what's best for them, and that's kind of understood. That's typically how it works. Uh, so, part of me like doesn't feel like I don't want Greg Fry to necessarily be a, a martyr uh, because you kind of know what you're signing up for with the job and you're paid handsomely for it, for working a really stressful job. Uh, but Florida state and specifically Willie Taggart doesn't mean that it was handled well. Uh, you know, Greg Fry probably shouldn't have proceeded forward without signing a, a contract and coaching without a contract, but at the same time, like dragging on another human being, uh, leading them on, especially with the details of his wife, it, it's and, and newborn children. Like it's, it's messy and it doesn't paint a very great picture of the way Florida state was being run for, for almost two full years. Well, I also think you need to be concerned about how it looks optically, because I know you brought it up and said, it doesn't look good, but I think you're talking about publicly, right? Like you're talking about yes. to the Florida state I'm talking fans about the optics and, from the outside looking in. Yeah. I'm not even thinking about it like that. I think there's been a, a big wake up call for FSU fans, administration, everybody, when it comes to FSU's ability to hire. Um, We saw when Willie Taggart was hired, the staff that he wanted to put together, you know, FSU, whether it was financially, reputation-wise, brand-wise, whatever, had a hard time attracting coaches. Um, Willie Willie Taggart-wise in hindsight, too, maybe. Yeah, yeah. The, The Mike Norvell hire. We're all glad he's here. FSU fans are, are excited and happy. But let's be honest, when Willie Taggart was fired, the names that FSU fans and media and people threw around were not centered around Mike Norvell. They were, quote unquote, bigger names. But we know Florida State just doesn't have what it takes right now to go out and make those hires, whether it be at the head coaching level or at the assistant coaching level uh, so how do, how do they improve that? You know, word of mouth isn't going to be good when situations like this are just hanging out there. And the fact that FSU hasn't taken care of this yet, and it's been just lingering around the program for this whole time, people know Greg Fry, other, other coaches, uh, former alumni. I mean, Greg Fry is a well-liked guy. It's Word's going to get around, and it's not going to make – future hiring any easier for Florida State and and I think optically that's why Florida State has to take care of this and just get it get it out of here get it taken care of okay I think I'm, I'm with you Josh I think there's the optics from a few different 
angles that you need to worry about. And it's not a huge sum of money. I know the athletic department is struggling right now financially and, and a lot of business are struggling or are going to be struggling as well in the near future. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. Now you got to pay Greg Fry and the lawyers instead of just Chris, Greg and, Fry. And that was Chris's point too, like the risk versus rewards. Like, okay, so let's say the best case scenario is you save, let's say you go ahead and you win all that and the lawyer fees get cut in half, right? Or something like, so you'll see save $300,000 is the, mm-hmm. the best case scenario. And what, what, What's the worst case? Here we, we spent 10 minutes talking about it on a local podcast that FSU fans need to, you know, that listen, the FSU fans listen to. Um, I just don't know if, it, if it's worth it. I think that was Chris's point too. Is that fair, it's, Chris? It's not the first time ever that a coach has taken legal action versus, versus school. I mean, there's been mm-hmm. other cases for FSU where, uh, you know, GAs and such have done that in recent years. So it's not like it's unheard of. I just think it's unnecessary. That's yeah. just my personal opinion. Yeah. I just – I think it's unnecessary. I think you pay for the services rendered and you move on from it and you'd be done with it. I, I also think it's very foolish that the adult, the coach, didn't sign his contract. And if he had a disagreement with his contract, I don't understand why he coached under the disagreement right. of the understanding of the contract that he didn't sign. Like it, I, I get that there was a difference between the letter of understanding and the contract, and that's where the issue came. That's why he didn't sign. I understand that. I think it's foolish to do the job that you expect to get paid for if you're not under the contract. Like, I don't know. I just, my brain, my, I'm not wired that way. I, <laughs> I'm not doing a job where I'm not under contract to do the job and I'm going to work for the terms of the contract I'm under. Like, it, it's two ways for me, but it's the only way you do it. There's ongoing debate on the message board about personal responsibility. And this is what happens if you, uh, put your trust sometimes in other people to do the right thing. Like, yes, yeah, this is what the letter of understanding said. We'll get it figured out later. Like, no, you don't necessarily won't do it. People don't always want to do uh, what's in the best interest of everyone. Uh, usually looking out for numero uno is, is how life works. All right, let's move on to a more pleasant conversation. We cool moving on. I just make sure we're, we're good on that topic. Yes. Good. All right. So we're going to end this podcast with, uh, we got a, I got a few questions and the, in the uh, inbox on Knowles 24-7. Actually, a few people reached out after our last podcast, Josh. They really enjoyed the uh, the way our uh, Q&A session went into kind of this long form of, of debates and topics and whatnot. So it was a good, a good format. And uh, we had a reader specifically say they wanted us to go over a few more questions because they enjoyed that segment. Uh, I'm not going to be able to pronounce his name correctly, though. It, help me out there. It's spelled F S H N. Ski 801. Finsky? Sounds great, Sonoma. questions. All right. So he had a few questions for us, so these are fun. Uh, first one, fellas, if you had to take over a position group coaching spot, which one are you grabbing and what do you do over three years? So for FSU, what would be the position group you would want to coach under this current staff, uh, and how would you go about doing so for the next three seasons? Offensive line, and I would recruit eighty-seven offensive tackles. <laughs> all five, and, all eighty-five. And I would hope, I would hope that the belief that Jimmys and Joes are more important than the X's and O's <laughs> would prove true if I find the right one. Josh, uh, I'd probably take over the fullback unit. Oh, that's Mike Norvell's spot. You're taking away his baby. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, right now there are no fullbacks on the roster. So, how was our conversation last week? Is who we would put at fullback? So you just you'd be responsible for hand selecting the one and then just tell them to go hit someone. Mm-hmm. Seems like a very Newbergian uh, way to to go ahead and carve out a, a nice niche for yourself. I don't know who I would want to coach. I don't feel comfortable. I coached running backs for a year at a freshman high school, Haggerty High School. 
You and I can work side by side. You got the running backs. I got uh, the yeah. fullbacks. I'm just going to tell them like, Hey, you just, you just find the hole, hit it as hard as you can and score a touchdown. Okay. That'd be, that'd be my advice. Um, I don't think any of us are very well qualified to coach. Hell no. Hell no. <laughs> Who do you think would be the best recruiter among the three of us though? Me. I think Josh. I know the, I know the streets. Although Chris jo- in the, Chris Josh in the re- living room, you'd bring Chris Josh, in the living room, right? To be the, Josh the relates to the, to the kids. Yeah, you you'd be the kids. Not anymore. Nah, man. I don't think I could do the recruiting. You got to shovel a lot of shit when you're recruiting. I just, I'm not, I'm not that guy. You'd be like the old Dell figure in the in the living room, though. You just kind of sit there quietly, Mm -hmm. let Tim Brewster, Josh. Yeah, but see, Odell has kind of built up that reputation over about three decades. So, like, let's not put somebody on equal footing with that that quickly. Oh, fair point. I, I just for the hypothetical, I think we would need to assume that we'd have some sort of resume to be able to coach at Florida State. All right, next in, question. In the hypothetical, I get paid thirty million, work somewhere <laughs> for about two years, get fired, get the buyout, and I never work again. But did you life. sign your contract, Chris? Hell yes. <laughs> if you put that many millions on it, I'm signing it. I don't care what the terms are. I'm signing it. <laughs> uh, what would you add to the stadium or surrounding area to improve game day experience? This is assuming that people can attend games in the near future i mean i think the first thing i would do is beer liquor wine throughout the stadium boy. with a limit on how much you can sell i think truthfully the whole belief that if you sell it in the stadium that people get drunk now i think people get drunk less truthfully because they're not gunning it in the parking lot to get in the stadium um i think the other thing i would do is put tvs everywhere throughout the stadium so when people are walking around they can see it Hmm. enjoy it i think the other thing Duke, Duke should do is seat backs. I, I would prefer seat backs throughout the whole stadium, making it more comfortable for people. Maybe taking rows that are 18 seats, making them only 15 with seat backs, you know, kind of accommodating the fact that people have gotten bigger over time and also reducing your total seating, which I think is a smart thing to do in this current climate of college football. I, I think stadiums that are 80 to 100,000. It's very tough to fill those consistently. If you got one, you know, if you got one that's eighty and you reduce it, say, so you're reducing it about eight percent. That's that's what about seven thousand seats, so about seventy-two thousand. Yeah, I, I think that makes a little sense. So you want people to drink more and have more room to good Wi-Fi, out. the ability to drink, the ability to be comfortable, the ability to see the game when you're not outside seeing the game, I think are all important because those are all things that you can sit in your living room and do effectively. And I think that's why fan attendance in part has gone down across the landscape of college athletics. I got one to add to that for com- comfortability. Um, an awning over, I think it's the East side, wherever the side that gets just obliterated by sun during afternoon games, uh, some form of shade, I think would be really humane to do for your, for your fan base. Those people are obliterated. Why not just go dome? No, I don't want a dome. You don't want a dome? I don't want a dome. I like the outdoor. I like being able to kind of look around and see uh, the pines that, that Doak Campbell stadium in Tallahassee is nestled into see the weird phallic uh, state capital. I I think that's charming, but I do want awning for people to be shaded. But state capital does kind of look phallic, right? Josh, it's your turn. I thought we were talking about did he the the original question say pregame or just game? Because I might have heard it wrong. I thought it said game game day game said, day experience. Oh, game so day maybe, experience. So I mean, it could be pregame, it could be in the game, it could be whatever. You yeah, want. no, game I agree. I think the one thing I would do is eliminate a lot of seats by putting the seat backs on. Um, kill two birds with one stone. 
you put the seat backs on and you also eliminate, because we don't need, there's no reason in this day and age to have 90,000 seats in a stadium. So you, you cut it down by putting seat backs on, getting rid of probably not all the benches, but you know, maybe 30, 40% of the benches and just kind of make it more comfortable for people and sell, sell more alcohol. Yeah, I think you could leave benches in each end, the student end zone, student, right. and a little bit of wraps on the corner, and then maybe the band mm-hmm. end zone, one for the band, because obviously fitting a band in the seats is not necessarily the easiest thing to do. But I and think between the 20 and the 20, seats. you go yeah. seats. And, and you reduce the price of the bleachers, and you increase the price of the seat backs, and you probably make a little bit more money on top because you have more seat backs. I, just, yep. I think there's ways to do things that are financially advantageous, while also making it a better fan experience. And adapting with the times at the same. Yes. For the benches, the parts that would remain benches, we should sponsor them, the on-the-bench benches. And that could be like, we put a bunch of stickers over there, and, and it'd be like a Actually, little ragtag group of the fan base. Brendan, if I'm not mistaken, the whole stadium needs a renaming. Oh. <laughs> what, are we, what are we offering to be, to be on the bench stadium? <laughs> I'll have to break my piggy bank open and see what I got. Chris, you take the $30 million contract you signed to coach the offensive line for two years <laughs> and invest it in that way. No, I'm sitting on that money for the rest of my <laughs> yeah, life on an sure. island somewhere. <laughs> on the island podcast with only yeah. Disney. What, what makes it a bigger difference from for FSU recruiting? A big-name celebrity hailing from the school and publicly repping FSU, akin to Drake and the Toronto Raptors, or the best QB in the NFL being an FSU product who actively supports the program. Uh, so let's say like if Jameis lived up to the hype and was repping FSU all the time, I think that would be invaluable. I think that'd be more so than like a social media presence. Yeah, and, I agree. Uh, yeah. Cause I think ultimately, well, kids today are a little bit differently wired and they enjoy a lot of the non football side of stuff. At the end of the day, they still want to, ride what they're doing to millions of dollars and i think if they can look at a guy like Jameis representing the school they can picture themselves as oh Jameis went there i can be Jameis, and i can go make money so i think that to me would carry a little bit more weight but there's no doubt that no doubt that a uh you know someone who's socially popular can carry weight for a school and make an impact and appeal to kids i, I think kids today more than ever because of social media and the ability that so many things are at their fingertips that appeals to more than it used to. All right. Two more questions here. I know this one's going to be an easy one. Do you ever know a recruiting shocker is coming, but can and won't report it? Yes. For yeah. both of you. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, what do you think time, the crystal ball is for? There, There's times where you're told like, Hey, this is happening. Get your ducks in a row, but don't put in that crystal ball. Yeah. I mean, that, that certainly has to happen sometimes. And, and then you, we'll pass it off to our coworkers. Like, Hey, uh, <laughs> I can't put a crystal ball in here, but I'm just saying you might want to put one in. Yeah. Sometimes you got to take your lumps because you get bigger yeah. wins out of taking the lumps. Mm-hmm. All right. Last question here. You can transport FSU campus to a different town that doesn't have a major college competition. Uh, where do you take it? Josh, you're saying St. Petersburg, Wait, right? Say, Basically, say you can take FSU, transport it to a different town, uh, one that doesn't have a major. So you can't take it to, like, Clemson, South Carolina. You can't take it to a place that has a college already, like, well-established, a major one. You can't take it to Athens, Georgia. But you can take it to, 
I, I, for me, like I would love to be closer to the beaches in the panhandle, like go ahead and move it. To oh, I'm take, okay. Then I'm taking it to Colorado. I'm going on a um, Beaver Creek. Shocking. Why is that Josh? Josh? Shocking that Josh would pick Colorado. <laughs> hey, Brendan, we need to take you. I need to take you on a trip out, out West one time. There's a great liquor store um, right there. Oh, okay. You called Beaver me. liquor. Okay. Uh, and uh, <laughs> they got some great whiskey. It's called Beaver liquor. It's called Beaver liquor. Well, it's in the town of Beaver. And it's a liquor store. Josh is truly a special human being. I love having him as a friend. Uh, I mean, everywhere I like is a college town. You know, I love Austin. I love Athens. I love Tallahassee. Um, hell, I don't know. Like, what about maybe, like Pensacola? Like, just get us closer I, to the beaches. I was thinking Destin. You know, get yourself some big money boosters. Enjoy the white sands at the beach. I, I like mm-hmm. me some Destin. You can build a stadium right over the bridge from the, uh, you know, the island area. So yeah, I, I guess over there. No, Josh, we're not changing the pod title to Beaver Liquor. <laughs> it's not, not happening. All right. The first the time beach. in jo- first time in Josh's life, he used the chat, the chat function the chat for that. <laughs> All right, let's end this uh, for Chris Nee. For Josh Newberg, I'm Brendan Sinone. This is the Beaver Liquor Podcast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.